That makes us glad. Now, let the words that I say and let the thoughts we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. You know, we all need community. And there are any number of places where people can go to find that community on the North Shore. Think about all the voluntary associations of individuals that exist in the towns that we live in. Places where you can go do charity work. Right? Places where you can find friendship with people with common interests. Places where you can serve working shoulder to shoulder with people who believe in the same causes you believe in. Places where you can be uplifted and encouraged. So to be blunt, I guess a question that I have for us at the outset this morning is, why are you here? Why are we here? When we could just as easily be seeking community over brunch right now, or at a soul cycle class, why church? I know that for some of you, it's compelling enough uh, that the Bible calls us to do this. We saw the passage earlier today. Uh, it's worth looking at once again. The writer to the Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near the writer to the hebrews is saying hey it's important to do what we're doing this morning to gather together in person and actually we should ramp up the frequency with which we do it as we see the day of christ's return drawing closer and closer Uh, these gatherings of christians coming together in a particular place we call local churches but how would you answer if someone asked you what exactly it is that we do as we gather together on a Sunday morning, how would you answer if someone asked who we are as a local church and what makes us different from the book club that's meeting at the library in town or the, or the fitness class that's meeting next door? That's kind of what we're going to be exploring throughout this whole series, but today in particular I want to lean into three questions and ask those as we try to get clear on who we are as a church, and what we're doing here. We'll take these three questions in turn today. Uh, The first one is, how does the Bible describe the local church? How does the Bible describe the local church? One of the main ways the Bible describes the local church is through analogies, actually. It's very rare that we see a place in Scripture where there's an abstract, detailed definition given of the church. Rather, the biblical authors give us analogies. One, one, one scholar has counted 96 different analogies in Scripture to describe the church. So the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those are analogies. And the church is such a rich, multifaceted thing that it takes 96 different analogies to come at it from all different vantage points to shine light on it from different angles so that we can start to get our heads around what exactly this is this this thing that christ purchased that we call the local church in addition to those analogies we have theological images these are these are ways in which theologians pastors christians over the years over the centuries have described the church um, that maybe don't show up exactly worded this way in Scripture, but that are faithful to how Scripture does talk about the church. So, some of them are very helpful. So, for example, um, the church has been called 
the, an, an embassy of Christ's kingdom. An embassy of Christ's kingdom. Now, could you open up in Scripture and find a place where it says the church is an embassy of Christ's kingdom? No. But we do see that church talks about us, Christians, as citizens of heaven, right? And then it says that we are ambassadors, right, here on earth, ambassadors of that heavenly kingdom. And so when you put those two ideas together, that we're citizens of heaven and that we are ambassadors down here, it is true, isn't it? It's not only true, but it's, it's, it's fruitful, it's edifying to us to reflect on the fact that we as a church are an embassy, so to speak, here on earth of Christ's kingdom. There are other images like that that theologians have come up with. There were outposts of Christ's ever-expanding rule that we are an enacted parable by which a watching world can see what it looks like to be in Christ. Any number of images like that. For our purposes this morning, uh, there's all these analogies, all these images. I want to zero in for this morning's purposes on one particular biblical image that is often thought of as an analogy but that on further reflection, I'm going to make the case is not actually an analogy at all. And that's that of the family or the household. Church's family. Uh, it's an extremely common one in Scripture. So, for example, we have in uh, 1 Timothy. Some of you are working through 1 Timothy right now during the 915 hour. 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about it this way. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What does that mean? Well, he explains it. He says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We see something similar in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, when Paul says to the church at Ephesus, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. About 12 times in the New Testament, we see the word house or household used to describe the church. And those 12 instances complement the many times in the New Testament in which we are talked about as family, using language like that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Any idea how many times The Bible talks about us as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's actually 139 times the Bible uses that language, brothers and sisters. And that's that's hard to grasp for us, hard to grasp the magnitude of that uh, because we live in a world in which if I'm playing pickup basketball, I might uh, say to a stranger that I played with after the game, hey, good game, brother. Or... If you're on the train with somebody and you notice they're listening to music that you like, um, you might say, you've got good taste in music, sister, right? It's kind of accepted in our culture, but in the time when the New Testament was written, it was unheard of for people to use that sort of sibling language to refer to people who are not blood relatives of theirs. It would have been shocking for people to read what the New Testament authors do 139 times calling fellow Christians sisters and brothers. So, for that reason, I'm going to ask a question uh, that may seem like a nitpicky theological question at first, but I think it's actually important, a question for us to reflect on. Here's the question. This idea of the church as family, is it an analogy or is it a statement of our identity? 
church as family, is that, is that an analogy or is it a statement of our identity? If it's an analogy, then what Scripture is saying is that our nuclear families are the real families, right? And our church relationships are so close that they're almost like nuclear family relationships. Is that what the Scriptures intend to say? I want to make the case this morning that actually... It's not an analogy at all. Actually, the church's family is an identity statement for the church. And there's two main reasons why I've come to believe that. First, our church family is more enduring than our nuclear families. Our church family is actually more enduring than our nuclear families. A million years from now, a million years in the future, Sarah will no longer be my wife. Right? My blood sisters may or may not still be my sisters, depending on whether they believe. However, you, my sisters and brothers here at North Sub, will still be every bit my sisters and brothers then a million years from now as you are now, right? So if my nuclear family will last this long, but my church family, family of faith lasts this long, which one has primacy, right? Second reason Jesus treated the family of faith as primary, even over his nuclear family. Do you remember that story back in uh, Mark chapter 3? I'm going to read it right now. In Mark chapter 3, there's this story that, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but it catches me off guard every time I read it. It says, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came. This is Mark 3, starting with verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That passage certainly seems to indicate that as much as Jesus loved his nuclear family, um, his faith family took primacy, right? For those reasons, I've become convinced it's better to think of the family not as an analogy for the church, but as a real statement of who we are as a church. In other words, it's not that we're like family here at North Sub. It's that we are family in the truest sense of that word. We can even see, based on what we've seen here, that the church family is meant to be our primary family. And listen— this isn't just an abstract theological idea for me, you know. Especially over these last three weeks, this is something that I've experienced firsthand. The church's family is you all have come alongside Sarah and I in our hour of need. You've brought meals. You've shoveled and salted our driveway. You've played with our kids. You've given medical advice. You've prayed with us and prayed for us. You've sent encouraging notes. You've provided transportation over the last couple of weeks. When poison was spilling into my abdomen and when our lives were being turned upside down in our home, you were there for us. And honestly, that wasn't new. For the last three and a half years that Sarah and I have been part of this church body, that's how we have experienced all you, you all. You've been family to us. And I've seen you do it for each other too. Providing a car for someone whose car broke down. Providing transportation for someone who can no longer drive at night to life group. Uh, 
rallying around a grieving person in their moment of loss, visiting the hospital to pray with someone who is recovering from surgery, supporting someone who's been betrayed by a spouse. We're not a perfect church by any means, but this is a church that acts like family. Maybe as much as any I've been around. Uh, So I want to direct your attention just for a moment, take a pause here, to the screens up front. Um, One family in our church, the Misik family, um, been worshiping with us, been part of this family for uh, a little over a year now. Uh, And Joshua and Abby shared a story with me that illustrated what it is that we're talking about this morning at the church as family. And they were gracious enough to agree to share that with us uh, through this video. So let's take a look. I joined the military in 2008 as a reservist um, and then through that I uh, decided I was actually going to pursue a career in law enforcement. Um, at the end of my time in law enforcement I decided I wanted to go active duty military and uh, when we did that we knew that we were going to be moving and since we were moving we knew that we would have to develop a church family. Growing up um, my dad was a pastor and so the church was our family. We weren't necessarily physically close to our blood families. But we knew with the military we'd have to dig in faster because we'd be moving more often. So our first move was actually to uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And we found a church there where we really liked the people and we seemed to get along and we agreed with what they were preaching. And we were just super excited uh, to be part of that church. Um, around my six month mark there, I found out that I was coming down on orders to go to Arizona for 45 days. And unfortunately, the orders were four days after my son's uh, expected due date. Um, Luckily, I was home for the birth, but two days later after the birth, I I had to leave. And I had to go to uh, Arizona and leave my wife uh, with no relatives and no family in Tennessee. So it seemed a little daunting, but um, the ladies from my Bible study helped. They brought some food and everyone offered to help, but it didn't always... There was no follow-up and I didn't want to, it was just hard. Like I was busy with the newborn and two kids, like what to ask, um, but yeah. Yeah, they were definitely good friends uh, and we do appreciate all the help that they did give to us. We're not trying to take away from that. Uh, but when we came here, when we came to Fort Sheridan, uh, we did, I guess you would call it church shopping, right? That's, that's the term for it, but that's not what we were trying to do. What we were trying to do is find a church where we can get plugged in immediately and just have that sense of family. Um, so we went to a few churches and we ended up here uh, the weekend after January 1st. And um, after service, my wife and I were talking and we were like, wow, this feels like home. Uh, this feels like family. And honestly, we've only, we only talked to a couple of people, um, but it just it felt so comfortable. Um, and then in the summer, I found out that I was going on more 45 day orders pretty much exactly a year after the year prior. Um, and then I was going to be gone with my wife taking care of a one, two, and four-year-old. Yes, yeah, so um, God was so great the time before, and I knew that he would be this time, but we just felt such a difference with the family here. We felt people stopped and helped me um, mow the lawn, watch the boys. Someone came over and watched the boys so I could cut one's hair and then switch them out and cut another one's hair. Um, oh, so many things. Someone brought by donuts and coffee for my birthday was really special and help with doctor's 
appointments. Uh, several of the girls would come and watch the older two, so I wouldn't have to drag them all out. It was just so great to feel like there were people supporting us. That's super when you weren't feeling well. I, I just remember being at training and, and getting these calls and be like, this person from church helped out and this person from church helped out. And it allowed me to stay focused. It allowed me to do my mission and my job, uh, knowing that my family was taken care of by our church family, uh, which was so huge for me. Um, and so many different people too. It wasn't like like two people doing the same thing. We were just so thankful that it was just like a family. It just yeah. so great. Someone came and spent the night. Yeah, someone came and spent the night with the boys when I wasn't feeling well. So that was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So I knew that we would have to give, uh, that we were requested to give testimony today. So I was thinking like, what's a, what's a good parallel between it? And the way I can think about it is every church we've been a part of, we've made really good friends, right? And that's what friends do. They ask you if you're okay, they give you moral support and, and they check in on, in on you from time to time. Uh, but this church just feels like a family. And what family does is uh, they, they just do it. They do the hard things. They, they show up to your house. Uh, when you're not feeling good and they just dive right in. They do the hard jobs that maybe nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to watch a one, two and four year old who are probably screaming through my house as my wife mows the lawn or bring their kid over so their kid can mow the lawn. Uh, but they did it anyway. And they did it out of the joy of their heart. We try to pay several times for some of the things that were being done, but every single time we were met with, no, it's not necessary, we're family. Um, so we're just so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. First uh, John three eighteen is a verse that comes to mind. Um, it says, you know, little children, we should not love with only word and speech, but with action and deed. And we really, we really felt that. So thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if we get to say anything, I think we want to say thank you, North Suburban. Thank you for being our family. Mm -hmm. And thank you for taking care of my wife and my children when I'm not here. Uh, Y'all mean a lot to me and we love you all. You notice there that they weren't describing some sort of well-organized, top-down sort of program that enabled them to get taken care of in their hour of need, right? I mean, I didn't even know that any of that was happening until they told me that story afterwards. I don't think Pastor Craig did either. What happened was the church family saw a need and took initiative, and what ended up unfolding was organic. It was beautiful, uh, and there are many other stories like that here in this church family. I want to move now to a question that some of you are asking and some of you aren't, um, but some of you know exactly why I'm asking it, and it's this. What need is there for this on the North Shore today? What need is there for this on the North Shore today? It's not immediately evident that everybody on the North Shore is dying to be part of something like this, church's family, right? And so how many of us feel it? How many of our neighbors even feel a need for what we're talking about? So I want to play devil's advocate for a moment and just think through um, some important pushback, maybe some, some counterpoints to what we're presenting here, church's family. Okay, so ready? Think about this. Church's family, that's way too much intimacy for 2020. People on the North Shore in 2020 are too guarded for that. People on the North Shore in 2020, they want a place to be anonymous. They want a place they can come on Sunday morning, slip in, slip out, and then get to the golf course or to the lake or to their kids' sporting events. You're talking about church's family, but church's family is messy, right? And people on the North Shore in 2020 have very busy lives. They don't have room to take on more mess. They're looking for a place, when they're looking for churches, they're looking for a place that's free from mess. 
What do you think about that? There's actually some truth in what I just laid out. For some people on the North Shore, maybe even for many people on the North Shore, church as family is just too much. It is. Uh, they do want something anonymous, someplace they can be a consumer, someplace that's not messy. I mean, let's be honest, there are moments when I want that, right? It seems a lot easier and simpler at some moments when it's complicated and messy to do church as family. So I'm not confused why people want that. And the reality is that people who are settled in that, settled in that desire for the anonymous and can, the consumeristic mindset, they're not going to come flocking to North Sub to be a part of what we have here, right? We, we can't pull off the product that they're seeking to consume. However, while that may describe some people on the North Shore, it certainly does not describe everybody. Um, in fact, there are many people on the North Shore who are thirsty for just a sort of family that we're talking about. How do I know that? Well, several reasons, several ways. My wife shows me Facebook groups of North Shore moms in which these moms are bearing their souls, asking for advice on the most intimate things in their lives, most intimate struggles in their lives from absolute strangers because they have nowhere else to turn. I know teenagers who have been in the same group of friends for years as they've gone through school together, but who in that friend group never talk about anything vulnerable whatsoever. I know couples who have silently struggled through infertility, through serious marital issues, through miscarriage, without ever telling a soul because there's nobody in their life that they feel close enough to talk to about that. Major publications have talked about it. Scholars have written about it in recent years. This loneliness epidemic, so to speak, in the West. It's real. And every day, there are more and more relationally starved people who would hear about what we have here at North Sub, with this church that is a family, and feel some sort of yearning. Like, like where could I get something like that? So that's actually a really exciting thing for us as the people of North Sub, that we can be 100% sure that there will continue to be a population of people on the North Shore yearning for exactly what we're talking about this morning, a church that they can experience as a family. Why? Because we human beings are hardwired for it. The God who made us made us for community so that we feel like something's missing when we try to navigate life as lone rangers, isolated from intimate relationships. Put differently, everybody on the North Shore is made for a different kingdom than the individualistic kingdom that they are part of here in the towns where we live. And so as they flow downstream with the current of North Shore life, they will inevitably end up at some point unsatisfied. So as we as a church, become a more clear enacted parable, as we become a more compelling outpost, a more faithful embassy, we will become more attractive in the best sense of that word to a certain population of people, the subset of the North Shore population who's been burned out by individualistic consumerism, who has seen put together perfection and gone down that road and found it lacking. There's a catch to this, though. And it's this. All of our familiness, our church's family, will do no good for our neighbors who need it if 
our familyness is turned in on itself exclusively, right? Here's what I mean. You know, in in many neighborhoods, there's this family. It's 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 one of the worst kinds of families. Um, maybe you've known a family like this that every day the neighbor kid comes over, knocks on the door, asking to play. And what's the family say? The family says, no, 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 go away. Come back another time. We're having family time, right? If we, as a church, are that sort of family, we're always saying, no, no, go away. We're having family time right now. What good will our familiness be to a North Shore that's thirsty for something like what we've experienced? That's not the sort of family the Bible envisions. The sort of family the Bible envisions knows that Our family meal, as currently constituted, does not yet include the full number of our family. In other words, if we picture it like a table, and there's all these seats at the table, there are more seats at the table that aren't yet occupied. There are other family members that we have out there who have been extended the invitation to adoption into our family, but who have not yet taken up the invitation, but they one day will accept it. So we want to be the sort of mature family who yearns for that day when every seat at the table will be occupied. And and after all, isn't that what the love of our God looks like? If we rewind back as far as we could possibly rewind to that time in history when only God existed. God was the only thing that existed. And all there was was this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a perfect Love within the Trinity, Father loving the Son and Spirit, Son loving this Father and the Spirit, Spirit loving Father and Son. That love was not the sort of love that remained turned in on itself, right? But rather, it was a love of the sort of character that ended up spilling out of itself to creation. So that you and I, as creatures uh, of God, could experience that love that for all of eternity past, only existed within the Trinity. It's the same sort of love that exists between a husband and wife that ordinarily spills out of itself to create new life, to extend the love that exists between the husband and the wife to children, uh, to, to others who can receive that love and share in that love. That's the sort of family love we're called to have in the church. Not the ingrown sort of love that turns in on itself, but rather an outward-facing love that has a tendency to foster new life in others. There's so much more we could talk about theologically speaking, but I think it would be a miss to end our sermon without talking about what this looks like practically. Like, how do we actually do this? How do we, we, we've already said that to attempt to do church this way is to swim upstream, to go against the current. Um, so how do we do it? How do we cultivate this sense of family? First, maybe you should clarify the question. Some, when you heard this question, how do, we, how do we cultivate this sense of family? What you heard uh, is something like this. How can this church family feel more like family to me? How can this church family feel more like a family to me? And that's not a bad question to ask. After all, not everybody has experienced Norsub the way I have, the way the Mesick family has. That's the reality. We're not a perfect church. Even though we're not a big church, it's still possible to slip through the cracks here. And since we are a people who are made for participation in a church family, it's a fine question to ask, how can this church feel more like a family to me? But if that's where you are this morning, I think there's an even better question to ask, and I want to suggest that it's this. How can I be that kind of family to others in this church? How can I be 
this kind of family to others in a church? Here's why I think that's a better question to ask. Three reasons. One, because community often begins with being the sort of friend that you'd like someone to be for you, doesn't it? Community often begins with being the sort of friend that you'd like someone to be for you. Second, it's really hard to slip through the cracks if you've moved from being a spectator here to being a participant. In other words, when we serve, when we jump in and serve somewhere in the church, you end up shoulder to shoulder with people. You get to know the people that you're serving alongside. You get connected to them as you feel that bond of serving together. And then that person's connected to sisters and brothers in the church that they pass on their connections to you. And pretty soon you've got real relationships with people in the church. And third, I think, how can I be that kind of family is a better question than how can this church feel more like a family? Because... That's the attitude we're called to in Scripture. Mark earlier read uh, or, or shared a prayer uh, structured around the one another passages in Scripture that we're called to. And I think also about Paul and his companions who sometimes went to a town for only a month, only a few weeks in some cases, yet each time they went to a new place, they dove in head first. They got fully invested, so much so that years later when they would write a letter back to that church, you can just feel the, the fondness spilling out off the pages, the fondness, the deep love that they have for these people, in some cases that they were only with for a few weeks. I know some of you are in that same situation. You know that you're only here temporarily for seminary. You know that you're only here for a short period of time for, um, uh, for your military stationing before they ship you off someplace else. And so the easiest thing in the world would be to just kind of come and go. Because it would be too hard to get really invested and then feel the pain of losing, uh, of loss as you move away inevitably in a few years. But I want to encourage you, friends, don't, don't do that. No matter whether you're here for 30 years or for 30 days, dive in fully. Invest. Find a place to serve. Instead of looking for a place to find community here, look for a place you can create the sort of community that we are talking about. But again, we're asking the question, how? So let me just leave us with three very practical, very tangible principles as we think through how to cultivate this sense of family. Number one, you've heard it said maybe, love is spelled T-I-M-E. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Some of you maybe have a 16-year-old in your home and you're a little discouraged because they want to spend time with their friends outside the home and aren't really investing in their siblings. We know that family love can only be cultivated through time. There's no shortcut. There's no way around it. Without spending time together, we won't have that deep sort of family love. And it's the same in our church family. And so maybe a practical, tangible action step is to set aside time, carve it out on our calendars in advance. Time that on this day, we're going to have some people over from the church. We don't know, I don't know who it's going to be, but this is set aside for that time. Or, or on this day, we're going to invite some people to go out to lunch with us after church, or on this day, I'm going to go to coffee with somebody in my life group, in between life group meetings. Uh, you're going to hear in future weeks about us starting to do some uh, church family potlucks, maybe on the, on, the, on the months when there's a fifth Sunday in the month. We'll do, on the fifth Sundays, we'll go down to the gym after service, have a potluck. If you want to help make that happen, talk to Karen and Don. Bottom line is setting aside time because there's no way to truly love one another without putting in some time. Number two, the principle that authentic family is better than put-together perfection. 
authentic family is better than, it's preferable to put together perfection. Something that I believe in deeply, um, which is why you've seen me in past weeks uh, bring my little infant up on stage while my wife's attending to our toddler downstairs. You've, uh, you know, when our life group comes over to the house, I've been in sweatpants sometimes having just woken up from a nap. It's, we're family, you know. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you're going to show up on Sunday morning and there's going to be trash in your seat. Um, we don't want to use authenticity or family as excuses for laziness, right? What we're saying, though, is that our aim isn't for people to walk away, guests to walk away after a morning with us and say, wow, that was super put together and impressive. Our aim, rather, is that people walk away and say, those people seemed like a family. Third and finally, the nuclear family can be an idol. Uh, I know that's controversial. The nuclear family, though, can be an idol. Since the 1980s, probably earlier, evangelicalism has uh, emphasized the nuclear family as the backbone of society, has painted this picture that Christians are family people, has uh, put it out there, I've heard it in many sermons, that Sunday is a day for family, right? So we rigidly protect our family meals, choose family performances, sporting events over everything else, including gathering with the church family. Have you ever considered, though, how biblical is all of that? Right? And don't get me wrong. I know there are some Christian families on the North Shore that need to hear uh, a call to prioritize family more. But... Many, many Christian families on the North Shore, from having lived here now seven years, uh, many, many Christian families on the North Shore need to hear the reminder that just like any other good thing, the nuclear family can become an idol. An idol is anything that we put out of order, that we put in the place of God. And in Scripture, God never tells us that we need to spend Sundays with our nuclear family to the exclusion of others. You won't find in Scripture a place where God tells us to close our doors to neighbors when it comes time for family dinners. God certainly never tells us to prioritize the nuclear family over the church family. We've already seen that Jesus himself treated his believing family as primary in Mark chapter 3. So, hard question. Has your nuclear family become an idol? Have you made it? An idol. For those raising kids, here's another way of thinking about it. Do your kids see church as an event or as a family? Do your kids see church as an event or as a family? Have you trained them that church is an optional weekend activity or that church is a network of sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts and moms and dads? What have they seen you model and what have they heard you talk about? Three ways to cultivate a sense of family. We've been laying out this morning a vision for church as family. And listen, my hope, my sincere hope is that as we lean into this more and more, that we would grow as a church. That, that I'd be thrilled if our church family expanded to fold in more people who could benefit from experiencing the special thing that we have here. Um, the reality, though, is that what we're talking about this morning may or may not result in much growth. Right? Whether it does or doesn't, it's still worth it. Because 
while the Bible never tells us to grow our churches bigger, it does tell us over and over and over again to love one another as family. So for that reason, our big idea today is this. Whether or not our church household grows bigger, let's love one another as an open family of sisters and brothers. Whether or not our church household grows bigger, and I certainly hope it does, let's love one another as an open family. That means not closed in on ourselves, but rather looking to welcome outsiders with open arms. An open family of sisters and brothers. If the day comes when we become too big to function as a family, we'll plan another church that functions as a family as well. Amen? We started out today asking, what makes us different from the cigar bar in town? What makes us different from the fitness classes and poker groups that are meeting around the North Shore for community? Right? What do we have that they don't? Now we're ready to say what that is. What we have that they don't. It's not something that we could ever generate or muster up in and of ourselves. It's actually something that's been given to us that none of the cycling groups or gamers clubs or moms groups have. That something has been purchased for us by precious blood. It's animated within us by God's Holy Spirit. It's the deepest bond possible between two humans because it reaches down to the deepest core of our being. What is it? It's the life of Christ dwelling within us. It's the life of Christ dwelling within us. Think about it. How can you and I be brothers, even though we root for different sports teams, enjoy different foods, listen to different music? Because the Christ that lives in you lives in me. That's how. How can you be my sister, even though there's naturally no reason that we should ever be friends, right? Because the God of the universe who lives in me leaps in my heart when I connect with the God of the universe living in you. That's what happened when our Lord Jesus became one of us and lived a perfect life and then died in our place, taking our place to pay for the selfishness that separated us from one another and from him. And when he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to live within his people, to join us together, young and old, male and female, in the sort of unity that the world would barely even be able to believe, much less explain. That's what we have access to. That's what we have at our disposal as we seek to live as family. So let's love each other as the sisters and brothers that we already are in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege this morning of preaching this word not to uh, a group of believers for whom this is a foreign concept, but rather to a group of sisters and brothers that already embodies this so well. It already seeks to treat each other as a family. It already comes around each other in our hours of need. But Lord, we lament, we grieve that, uh, that some have slipped through the cracks here and that we've failed to love them with that family love that has been purchased by your blood. And so we ask this morning that you would continue to shape us, that you'd make us into a people who uh, can see that person who's kind of on the fringes, that we would see that person who's about to slip through the cracks, that person who really could use some family care, uh, some brotherly love, some uh, uh, a sisterly hug. 
and that everybody who comes through our doors would feel welcomed and open into this family, into this family that we have, and that as we do so, that we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.